And you're invited to turn to Psalm 32 if you'd like to. There's a beautiful poem there and a prayer, but I think a poem that really describes the truth of what it means to confess. And if you need to take a deep breath and go, wow, it just got really still. Yeah, there's lots of energy. We'll have some energy, but... Psalm 32 says, The blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away and threw my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my inequity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I really thought I was on to something when I was about 10 or 11 years old, and my mom, I'd finally gotten up where I got to go out or asked to go out, and so I'd asked to go to the movies with one of my good friends, and my mom responded with, have you cleaned your room yet? Now, in some cultures, you might wonder, like, how those two activities are related, but in my world, I knew exactly how they were related. If I cleaned my room, then I could come and ask my mom again, and maybe she would say yes to this thing. There's, in fact, there's a high likelihood that she would say yes to this activity. However, I'm more of a stack and pack guy than a file and organize and my room showed it. Every single inch of my room had trinkets and toys and junk. Even under my bed, there was an organizational system. It was called pile, don't file. And so I started pulling stuff out from under the bed, and then I started opening up cabinets to put stuff in, except I realized that I had to organize the cabinet and clean that before I got to put stuff in there. And as the minutes ticked by and turned into like the hour mark, I was getting impatient. I was getting frustrated. I was getting a little discouraged. And it was a beautiful day outside in the afternoon, late afternoon. And my mom came in and she said, well, how's it going? She's like, well, keep it up, you know? And don't forget, there's this like one square foot of free carpet space that she had set clean clothes in the day before, and she's like, make sure you hang those up, too. Okay, Mom, thanks. So I pulled off one of the shirts because I was just kind of going around in circles, if I'm really honest. But I hung this up in my closet because I was short, so I had to reach up. And when I reached up to hang this in my closet, I made an amazing discovery. There was all of this room underneath the clothes and free uh, available carpet space. And I'm like, yes, because there's a sliding door on that closet. And so I just started scooping stuff out from under my bed and started shoving it over. I thought about asking my mom for a shovel, but I figured she'd be onto it. And I really did try to organize and file and stack things neat. But as the stuff came off my closet or off the top of my dresser and off the top of my desk and all off the floor, it just got bigger and bigger. And then it just kind of all went to, oh, I'm shoving it in there. But I finished with like 15 minutes before bed, so I, or 15 minutes before dinner, so I knew that I had time to ask my mom, run to my friend's house, make sure he could still do it, and come back and be okay. And so I yelled for my mom, and 
And she came in and she's like, wow, I'm impressed. She even looked under the bed. So can I go to the movie? And she's like, yeah, I think so. And she walked out of my room. And then it's classic mom, eyes in the back of her head. She's like, now, what are you going to do when you have to go get your pajamas at night after the movie? And everything falls out of your closet. <laughs> oh, jeez. I, I don't know. I'm going to chalk it up to being like 10 or 11. I don't know why I thought I could fool my mom. But we do this all the time. With ourselves and with God. We shove stuff in whatever closet you have, and we think that because no one's seeing it, that God must not notice it either. And that maybe we look okay all the other days of the week, and if we can just keep this up, that somehow this is great living. Well, today, we'll look at a dangerous prayer that will help us get rid of the closet to live our lives clear of sin and shame and full of grace and power. So let's go. It's in this verse, um, Psalm 139, actually a different psalm. It is a prayer. It's more of a prayer than a poem this time. So Psalm 139. It's at the end of this, and in, um, in one of my Bibles from a long time ago when I first decided to follow Jesus, I remember making this mark, or actually someone may have made it for me, prayer to change your life, and bracketed these two verses. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Just want you to take a second and look at that. Maybe it's on the screen, maybe it's in your Bible. And pray that, if that's really what you'd like to do. Pray it in your head. You can pray it out loud. God, it is your word, and it's holy and it's living, and I pray that you would speak to us through it. We want you to be active and real in our lives, and we confess that it's sometimes hard to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, David prayed this prayer when he was being persecuted by his enemies. David is this guy that's in the Old Testament. He was king at one point. He was one of the few good kings that God's people had. And he may not have been king at this point, but he was definitely being pursued by enemies. They were persecuting him. They were slandering his name. They were calling him unfaithful. And this is what he prayed in response to it. Now, I want you to think about if someone was slandering your name, I know it's hard to imagine in our current political climate, like November 6th, that anyone could be slandering each other's name, but just imagine that it's your name, that they're, they're hating on you. What would you do? Would you be quick to defend yourself? Would you try and ignore it? Would you try and take them to court? Or would you just retaliate back? If I have to watch one more ad that's like the exact opposite of the other person, I think I'm going to scream. That's what we're taught to do, and somehow that's considered okay. 
sometimes, especially people that have been from Minnesota, yeah, we, we think that we just ignore. Like, we're, we're just nice, we ignore, and then inside we're seething. But David doesn't defend, he doesn't attack, he doesn't try and sue them, and he doesn't ignore. David prays this prayer. Think about that. These are enemies that are slandering me, and I'm going to pray, search me, God. Search the depths of my soul. Test my worries. See if there's anything that offends you, and lead me to eternal life. Lead me in the way of eternal life. Now, this is your warning. If you pray this, it is a prayer for Jesus to enter your house, like your whole life. Now, I don't know the first time you have guests over where you get to let them in your house, but usually when we're invited over to someone's house, we get a great view of the entryway. We might even spend a little pit stop in the living room, and then it's like the dining room. And maybe the closest bathroom, but certainly not like, oh, go all the way downstairs, three, four doors down, and go into that bathroom, because that one hasn't been cleaned in two weeks. But this is like giving Jesus the whole house tour, the parade of homes, except the parade of homes is your life. So if you say yes to Jesus, you say, search my heart, God, you're saying, come on in, Jesus, make yourself at home, and you believe he actually will. He'll feel the seat cushions, Jesus will go into the bathroom and open the medicine cabinet. See what you're taking. He'll go into your bedroom. He'll go, he'll go into the places like your closet and the things you don't clean. He'll probably pick up your smartphone and see the social media you're on and what you comment on and what you like and what you post. He might ask you about it. He'll go to your laptop or your home computer and he might scroll through the browsing history, ask you some questions about that. He might just sit for a really, really long time in a main area of your house quietly and listen to how either on the phone or in person you talk to the people you care about most. That's what this prayer starts with. Search everywhere, God. When Jesus talks about the heart, he says in Luke 6 that a tree is known by its fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. No, a tree is identified by its fruit, so figs don't come from thorn bushes, they come from fig trees. And grapes are not picked from bramble bushes, they're picked from grapevines. A good person, here's his point, a good person produces good things from the treasury of good in his heart or her heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury or the storage of an evil heart. What you say from your mouth flows from the depths of your heart, your soul. If you want to know what's in your heart, then listen to the words that you actually say. Sometimes my wife says, do you really hear yourself? And, and that's an invitation for me to pray this prayer. And sometimes I receive it and many times I don't, but we'll talk about that later. Now, you might be thinking, I'd like to stop right there. 
I don't even know if I want to go any further because that's invasive enough. But can I encourage you that the reason that you pray this prayer is so that you know what's in your heart. God already knows what's in your heart. Look at the first verse of the psalm. It says, God, you've searched me and you know me. You know all of my ways. God invites us to pray this so that we would know our ways because we often get blinded. We often think we're do. We judge ourselves by our, uh, our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. And so this is one of those cases where God is inviting us to see ourselves as we should and as he sees us. And so this is, I think, why Jesus prays so, or asks so often, do you want to get well when somebody wants healing? Because we often read that, what? Huh? If you've read that before. Or in the Old Testament, when God asks a question that he should already know the answer to, like Adam sins with Eve, and they take the fruit that they're not supposed to take from, and then they're hiding when they hear God, and like behind this tree, and God says, where are you? God already knows where they are. He wants to see if they know where they are. That's what this prayer starts with. It's asking you, it's saying to God, God, I want to know where I am. Second thing he says is test my thoughts. Test me and know my thoughts, my anxious thoughts. This is something that causes distress or anxiety or trouble in us. Maybe it's the things that keep you up at night or the things you stress about or the things that cause disturbances in you that you ruminate on, that you worry about. Somebody was trying to understand prayer and someone else said, it's reverse worry. It's actually a pretty good example. The things that you worry about, reverse it. And that's turning it to prayer. Jesus says, who by worrying can add a single hour to their life and yet we do it all the time. Now to test something is to see its strength. Like metal workers test metal to test how strong it is and when it will break. Teachers test students to see how much of the information they have absorbed and penetrated their heart and their mind will actually change them. This is a good word. When we test, we're saying, God, see where my trust level, my faith is at. In fact, somebody else said a really wise little quip. What you fear the most is where you trust God the least. Think about that. What you fear the most is where you trust God the least. And I I don't like this. Because if I'm afraid of failing, then it means I don't really trust God with my successes, meaning I depend more on my own efforts than his. If I'm afraid of never getting married or not getting married until certain dates, then I'm not trusting God with my future. If I'm afraid of falling into sin, then I'm not trusting God with, and his spirit, that the spirit of God that is in me is greater than the spirit of God that is in the world. What we fear the most might really be where we trust God the least. So where do you worry? And where does fear rule? 
And if that's not enough, he says, reveal my sin. He says, uh, see if there's any offensive way. Maybe your scripture says, see if there's a way of pain in me. And I, I thought that was kind of a weird statement, so I did a little work on that. This offensive way or this way of pain is anything that we think gives us power or that we'll put value in. This way of pain might be translated wickedness, but it actually means towards something that we think will give us power or we think will give us value. That's the same definition as idolatry. And certainly when God's people went the way of the wicked, they went their own way. They followed the people around them that were not worshiping God, and it did get them into trouble. It was called exile. It's not a great place. And yet, I think we also do that. There's one point right before I started praying this prayer. It was a couple semesters of college, and instead of praying, I was playing a lot of Super Tech Mobile. Now, anybody under 30, Super Tech Mobile was pre-Madden, probably the most excellent 8-bit graphic video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. This game has been on recent uh, TV as a car ad now or something like that, where they go across the screen and there's the music that's kind of techno-y. Yeah, this was a phenomenal game. Everybody that I was friends with played this game. In fact, it helped me get a lot more friends. But I grew up in a family where my parents didn't swear much, or at least they didn't swear much around me, and my friends didn't swear much either, and so I didn't swear much. And some of you know, and the rest of you are deceiving yourselves, that the people that we hang out with will eventually rub off on us. And so when I would win, I would learn all kinds of colorful language from my friends. And it wasn't long before I started using that language. In fact, in a moment of um, kind of embarrassment, there was a time where I couldn't string three or four sentences together without a profanity coming out. Now, not only was it offensive, when I reflected on it later, I realized that I wasn't swearing for the profanity. I was thinking that that would somehow give me value and power, that people would think I was cooler, that I would get more friends, that somehow that that was the ticket to what I wanted. That's idolatry. That is a way of pain. That is an offense. It's not just limited vocabulary. What are you putting value in? What are you putting power in that you think will give you something that's not God? Three questions that will bring this to the surface, this reveal, this sin. What are others telling you repeatedly? What keeps coming back around your desk or in your work email or at your house or with your friends? You know, it wasn't until my friend said, Hey, Rob, we need to talk to you about your swearing. Why? Because it's, it's just bad. Uh, everybody else does it. I'm not hurting anyone. Totally, totally, totally. What are people saying repeatedly? Well, I was getting that repeatedly. Second question, what are you rationalizing? Because I had all kinds of rationalization for when my friends came to me. You do it. Everybody does it. I'm not hurting anyone. What's the big deal? And the third, where are you most defensive? What are others telling you repeatedly? 
Because if lots of different people are saying it, then it probably is about you or me. What are you rationalizing? And where are you very defensive? This will uncover sin. This will uncover offense. This will uncover something that you are putting value in that might not be God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. See, when Jesus encountered people that were proud or educated or religious, and they would ask him, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Here's what he would always say. He would say, what is in the law? How do you read it? Now, the law for Jesus was what's in the Torah, which means the instruction. And this idea of Torah was to cast in the direction of, to go in the way of. And so with that definition of Torah, think target, to go in the direction of, or to throw something in the direction of, what he was saying is, what is that? And how do you go there? Well, then sin was defined as missing the mark. Well, that would... To me, that makes a lot of sense. If Torah means to go in the direction of, and there's this way of God, Jesus says it's called the kingdom of God, and missing the mark then is when we go off of it. This prayer is a prayer to say, open my eyes, God, because I can't see where I'm going. Maybe you've had a friend, or a child, or a parent, or yourself, who's been having their head down and going in the wrong direction. And everybody else can see it except that person. We're not saying they're wicked. God isn't even saying they're wicked. He's saying, lift up your eyes so you can see where you are and where the target is, where the way of eternal life is, where the kingdom of God is. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God perfectly. Love your neighbor. Love others perfectly. That's the way of the law or the instruction. And we're invited when we're not going that way to turn and go that way. That's what this prayer is saying. That's what the word repent means. Maybe you've heard it before in church and it's been used in ways that have made you feel like kind of ashamed or maybe even abused. And if you have, I'm sorry. But that's what it's saying. Search my heart, God, because I think my heart is better than it is. But if I'm really honest, I think of myself too much. I worry too much about what other people think and not what God thinks. Test my anxious thoughts. I just said, I worry about what other people think often more than what God thinks. Reveal my sin and lead me to the way of eternity. Lead me to Jesus. Because whenever the proud or educated or religious person had that conversation with Jesus, Jesus says, what's the law? How do you read it? He was inviting them to make an adjustment in their life and go towards it. Never ridiculing or judging them for their sin, just inviting them to wake up to see. And the proud person or the educated person or the religious person person would walk away deceived because they thought they were doing it in their own strength. 
Other people, when they heard this, they would just walk away unbelievably discouraged because they knew they couldn't do it in their own strength. But a few people, after others walked away, often the proud, the educated, and the religious, often they walked away and other people were left standing there. And they said to Jesus, we, we can't do it. And he said, I know. That's okay. Follow me. I am the way. See, after you pray this prayer, I promise you, God will open your eyes and your life up to show you what is sin. I know that's not popular, but it's true. He'll show you what is you're, you're worrying about, that you can't change, you're just worrying about it. And he'll show you what's in your heart. Sometimes, friends, sometimes it's ugly. But know that any time in Scripture that Jesus approaches someone who might be considered having an ugly heart, he, he just gazes with these intense and compassionate and forgiving eyes and says, I know you can't do it on your own. You don't have to. Follow me. I am the way. That's what this prayer is. David was called a person after God's own heart, and yet he had to wait for a savior. I know that my heart's not like David, and I have a savior. And we have a savior. Jesus made that way. He paid for our sin. He took it all to the cross, all of it, past, present, and future, and laid it up there and died for all of it. And the re- like he rose from the dead because he lived a perfect life and he had a perfect faith. And so we don't have to be perfect. We just trust Jesus. And the, his resurrection reverses that curse. So we really can pray this prayer, and live in freedom and away from our sin, away from our shame, and to the grace and to the mercy. So I invite you to pray this prayer. And if you've never received Jesus, I invite you to receive Jesus. This prayer is so much like a seven-year-old boy who goes to his mom complaining about knee pain, so she takes him to the doctor. And it just happens to be on this particular day that the doctor that's there is an orthopedic surgeon who is doing a rounds of, his rounds of on-call. And he asks some questions and checks out the knee. And he takes an x-ray of the knee. 15 or 20 minutes later, the x-ray tech brings the um, x-ray and he puts it in and he's kind of looking at it and scrutinizing it. And he's like, hmm, there's no broken bones there. Doesn't seem to be any swelling or trauma there. And so he says, we need to get an MRI of his abdomen. And the x-ray tech goes, what? No offense, doctor, but like, that seems like a lot of extra time and money for, for his abdomen. And the doctor just looks intensely at this x-ray again and then looks pretty intensely at the x-ray tech and says, I need to scan for a tumor in this boy's abdomen. Because although rare, there are tumors that can emerge and pinch a nerve that shoots a pain in the knee so that what you think is growing pains is actually something that could kill someone. And he does. And he gets the scan. 
and he has to sit down with the seven-year-old boy and his mom and say, it's most likely a cancerous tumor that's now the size of a softball, and we will need to do surgery. And you can get a second opinion, and I'm happy to be a resource for you. That's what this prayer is. Because we all have a cancer in us that is sin, and that we all have to let Jesus be this mighty physician and great healer and remove the things that could kill us from our lives, not because he wants us to not have fun, not because he wants less for us, but because he wants life for us. Will you pray a search me prayer? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it still continues to give life. God, that you still continue to give life through babies, even in the midst of death, that new things and new life can be revealed and uncovered and seen. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to where we're walking and wandering, where we're walking the way that is not the way of eternity, and that we could look up and see what you see through your grace and your mercy and that we would follow Jesus. God, I I pray that we would pray that you would search us and know us, Lord, that you would test our anxious thoughts, our worries and our disturbances and our anxieties. God, that you would reveal our sin, the things that that we put power in, the things that, that are offensive, God, to you. that that cause pain in our lives. God, and that you would lead us to your son. I pray for those who have never understood how Jesus is the answer to that prayer. How he is the answer to our sin and our shame and our doubt and our worry and our death and our struggle. And how saying yes to Jesus does not guarantee that trouble-free life, but does, does guarantee true life. Help us to not miss it. Thank you, Jesus.